Here's the uh, usual suspects award for the twist at the end offseason story. I'll go first. The lead up to the Dan Snyder Washington football team story. Do you remember what Twitter was like yeah. before we knew what this actual story that was going to be reported? It was Armageddon. And that's not to downplay the significance of what he was accused of and the, the environment for women working with that football team. But the stuff that was being hinted at, whether it was on social media or people that were connected and, and had sources and all this stuff, like he's going to be forced to sell the team on and on and on, or he's going to buy out everybody else and own the entire deal. So that was the, that was a little Kaiser Sose twist for everybody on that one. He was going to get a $450 million debt waiver and just be able to own the entire team. Today's pod is awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you ready for the trade deadline with a little history lesson about trading for lottery picks. It's not great. Kevin Clark is going to do free agency award season. And we've got life advice. That's all coming up. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. All right, we are taping this Thursday night, so that means Simmons and I are going to have like a big trade deadline extravaganza that we're going to do for you. All right. Um, so I'm not going to do any dated stuff here, although some of this could be dated a little bit. What I'm going to do is impregnate your brain with some NBA stuff. So grab your legal pad and get ready. There are three names that I want to focus on on the top that then morphs into a lesson about trades because we love new. We love new, even if new is used. And in the case of a guy that is supposed to be something in Aaron Gordon, a high draft pick and all that kind of stuff, we're like, man, even though it didn't really work out, even though it didn't really ever come together, even though it felt like people that watched him all the time, because there's a different experience there. You watching your players, you watching your guys, you know your guys. And you can think you know the other guys, but you never quite know the other guys until he becomes one of your guys. And because he's one of your guys, then your expectations are probably a little too high because you're always excited about something new and being different. And I've done it too, all right? I've done it too. But Aaron Gordon has kind of, in a weird way, gone from, eh, you know, we'll see what happens to maybe the most overrated player in the shortest amount of time. I, now, look, I don't hate Aaron Gordon. I like some of the stuff. I don't like some of the other stuff. Um, there are some really good numbers in there, and there's some really alarming numbers in there that kind of tell you, you know what, he's a pretty limited guy offensively. So should seven or eight teams be in on Aaron Gordon? I guess so if there aren't that many other options. And whether that's Lowry hands up getting moved or Oladipo, where it seems like that's getting closer and closer, that seven or eight teams are pursuing Aaron Gordon probably has more to do with what's available in the market or, you know, like fans, front office is kind of talking you into somebody. So I don't know what the price will end up being, but you would think if that many teams truly are in, and it's not just four or five other teams leaking that they're in so that the fan base thinks that their front office is active because teams will do that. And I don't really blame them at times. I mean, like, yeah, just call one of those guys and tell them we're in on all these players. But if there's truly that many teams in on Aaron Gordon, then Orlando may get a decent haul for a guy that, you know, you have for one year. I know he's still really young, but it's never really worked out. So why in year eight and nine is it automatically going to work out? I don't know. All right, so the other guy was P.J. Tucker. Now, P.J. Tucker, when he was first offered out there, you know, he had said, and I think I'd said this on the pod at the beginning of the year, like, hey, he wants out as much as Harden does. He's just going to handle it a different way. And he wanted out the whole time. And the Houston thing has been a mess, and we get it. And it's been even worse than anybody could expect. And there's been injuries and all the different stuff. And Harden basically sabotaged the beginning of the year. But when you hear that P.J. Tucker's available, you think of P.J. Tucker in the playoffs, hitting open threes, which you know, whatever you think about Harden, he makes everybody's life easier on offense during the regular season. 
You know, I mean, it's just there's stuff that's just wide open out there for you. And PJ adapted his game with the switching and having to play uh, small against big. Like he did a great job with it. Everybody should want a PJ Tucker. But when the price came out publicly that it was a first and a young player, control of a young player, you're like, good luck. Because guess what it ended up being? It's basically a pick swap where the Rockets can move their front end second rounder for the Bucks first rounder that has protection that isn't realistically going to get in the way of this. So like a pick went back, they traded some players, the Bucks get P.J. Tucker, but it wasn't for just a straight ownership to a first round pick and a young player. And that's why all this stuff gets thrown around there. You're like, man, what's the price on that? And I don't blame anybody for throwing out those big prices. But if you're Milwaukee, if you're a Bucks fan, you're going, man, we got P.J. Tucker. That guy can do everything. He also had the worst plus minus of any single player that qualified in the NBA. I'm talking like, I think it was 460 something out of 460. Now, I don't think PJ Tucker is going to be that bad with the Bucks because the Houston situation, as I said before, we all realized was a disaster. But it's like, okay, what are your real expectations? And even Lowry, who's better than both of these guys, and despite my issues with Lowry, the complainer and the flopper and all that kind of stuff, and I think pretty much calling me out when I said, yeah, Lowry's been basically saying, I think I'm going to get traded, which, whatever, man, we can debate this, but I'm not going to. Uh, he offers so much to a team. He just does. He does. You know how I'll talk about like players and you look at their stats. You can't, you can't just take their stats and then add it to your stats, you know, because there are players that bring stats, but can then also subtract. I think Lowry's so good as a player that he just adds to whatever it is you're doing and he can kind of design his game to fit what it is you're trying to do. So Lowry, I like but he's also 35, expiring deal. And some writers that I've seen kind of kick the tires on what the prices could be. And maybe the source is coming from Toronto. Who knows? Maybe one guy writes it in theory and then everybody picks up on it. And then we all start repeating something as if we know what the actual market is for Kyle Lowry. As much as I would like to add Kyle Lowry to any of my teams that were contenders, because I do think he's that malleable to what you're doing. The Philly rumor, two first, Maxi and Thibel. Like, what? Like, pick one. <laughs> you know? Like, our first are in the 20s. All right. You know, if you want another player, Thibel, okay, maybe. You know, Maxi, Maxi might even be a no. Maxi might straight up be a no at this point. Now, you really think, like, okay, Lowry improves our chances this much. You know Daryl's going to work out all the math on this stuff. The math return on it never comes back to be, like, overwhelming unless we're talking about somebody truly, truly special. So the prices on all this stuff you know, the P.J. Tucker one's a perfect example. Here's the leaked, floated price, and then here's the actual price. So if there are seven or eight teams in on Gordon, I don't know what the hell the price is going to be if there's that many teams really actually bidding for somebody who's probably, at best, your third best player on a good team. Now, the last part of this, and the most important part of this, I have now said for years, and we're seeing this, that late first, mid to late first are incredibly overrated. The return on those is not that great. For every role player, there's five complete flameouts. You don't even get a third-year option picked up by the team. So if you want to bundle up some picks, they're going to land between like 18 and 30 over the course of a few years. It's not really that big of a deal. Now, it can get dangerous, right? It could get dangerous for the Clippers down the road. It could get dangerous for Milwaukee down the road. Injuries, somebody asks for a trade. It obviously feels less dangerous once Giannis decides to stick around and sign his long-term extension. But you get the point. If you move these picks as a really good team, you're probably not really giving up that much. But what if you're giving up top 10 picks? Because that's the other part of this trade deadline where this could happen. I don't know if Wendell Carr is going to get moved. For whatever reason, I like him. And I know he's passive. And that's one of my least favorite things. He's passive. He doesn't shoot when he's supposed to. He doesn't take it to the hoop when he's supposed to. But because he's so smart and he just showed me so many great things at Duke and there are glimpses, I keep thinking, oh, wow, I would trade for Wendell Carter. Yeah, but would I be wrong? What version of Bagley's story goes, yeah, that's... And then when he left Sacramento, he became an all-star. Have you watched him play? He's pretty limited. I like that he tries hard. I like that he rebounds. Um, I don't think he's a bad guy by any sense. You know, none of, I don't really get any of that from anything that I'm hearing. But if you're getting somebody that was taken in the lottery a couple years later, does it mean that you're psyched? Because most of us, and again, I'm reminding myself of myself as a fan, I go, oh, wow, we got that guy? He went six two years ago. That's usually a warning that you shouldn't be excited, but you're going to be. If you got Jarrett Culver tomorrow, would you be happy about it? Or would you go, oh, wait, he's got awful stats and he can't shoot and he's not that great of a ball handler and he just kind of initiated all the offense and everything was on his terms at Texas Tech. 
Why did he go sixth again? Let's run through some draft knowledge here. I went through a bunch of drafts today because it was just dawning on me because I want to talk about, I want to emphasize price and I want to emphasize what it is you're really giving up. And then also, whenever you're getting a guy that went in the lottery only a couple years later, chances are it means you're getting damaged goods. So even though it's new to you, it's still used. In the 2015 draft, Carl Anthony Towns went one, still with the Timberwolves, right? Picks two through 10 have played for a combined 25 teams. That draft was five years ago. D'Angelo Russell, four teams. Okafor, four teams. Um, Porzingis is on his second team. Mario Hezonia, third team. I mean, Magic fans are just experts on tall guys that can't play. Vooch absolved from that comment. Willie Cauley-Stein, two teams. Moutier, three teams out of the league. Stanley Johnson, three teams. Frank Kaminsky, two teams. Justice Winslow, two teams. Picks two through 10. 25 teams combined. Rosillo, you're cherry picking. I'm not. Let's look at 2016. Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown. All right. So I'm going to go through these again. Simmons, it's worked out, was almost traded, wasn't. Ingram was traded, but for a very specific reason because you're getting Anthony Davis. But seven of the top 10 picks have played for 19 teams. So Ingram moves in a unique situation. Jalen Simmons and Jamal Murray have stayed. The rest of the guys, the Dragon, Bender, out of the league. Chris Dunn, he's still in the league. He hasn't played yet for Atlanta. He's on his third team. Bender played for three. Buddy Heels on his second team. Marquise Chris, four teams. Jakob Pertl, two teams. Uh, Thon Maker, out of the league, three teams. I did read a piece in researching this where it said, uh, it was a Cleveland piece, and it was like, adds great depth to what Cleveland's trying to do with their bench. Or or not that. And then actually pick 11 with Sabonis, so it worked out there a little bit. So that's seven players on 19 teams from a 2016 draft. Let's take a look at the 17 draft. Fultz, we already know that deal. Lonzo traded in a unique situation. Tatum, okay. Josh Jackson on his third team already. Darren Fox looks like going to work out. Isaac's been hurt. Marketing could be traded. Nit Lakina, I can't believe, hasn't been traded. Dennis Smith has already been on a bunch of teams and probably lucky to still be in the league. I'm going to give you one more because I... I had to stop myself at this point because it almost felt unfair. The 14 draft, Andrew Wiggins, second team, disappointment, not a disaster. Jabari Parker, disaster. Embiid, terrific. Gordon, as we talked about earlier. Dante Exum, who? Marcus Smart, still there. Julius Randle, terrific, different teams. Nick Staus, Nick, you want to say who? Nick Stauskas. I liked him, I'll admit it. Noah Vonley, Alfred Payton has been on a bunch of different teams. These are top 10 picks. This is in 2005. I'm not making this unfair. It's worse than I thought. So the lesson in this is, I'm not telling you to not trade for top 10 picks, but man, I'm starting to wonder if it even matters because it's always a little underwhelming when you do go back and look at it. But if we're talking recent, I can't do the more recent ones because the guys haven't moved yet, but we know this is going to start happening again. So I'd caution you, if you trade for a player that three years ago was drafted in the top 10, I know that sounds awesome and you're really excited and you're going to order the jersey, but there's probably a reason, and it's not a great one, that he's on your team. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their activewear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level 
of awesomeness in their joggers every single day, this is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. The great Kevin Clark, Wall Street Journal alum, joins us. Do you still have a free login to the Wall Street Journal when their stories come up? My wife still works there. She can't Did you guys meet there? Did you have to go to HR once you started hanging out? We did. We met at a HR-funded party for young people at the Journal. It was called the 30 Club, and it was a bunch of people under the age of 30. And that's where we met. We met at the first one of those. Did you have to fill out a flyer? Because you guys Uh, were in a committed relationship? My wife told her friend who worked in the HR department a couple weeks into it. A couple weeks to go to HR and announce your your courtship? You don't want any trouble. You no, I'm just tr- saying. You, you got to cut that off at the pass. You got to get it, you know. Are you saying we should have given, given it a little, little more time? No, you guys just knew and it worked out and I'm happy for you. Yeah, but I'm just telling tell you, HR. like, what if you were just some clown of a guy where you're just showing up like after two weeks, you know? I'm trying to pick somebody if, that I can't get in trouble. Like, what if I was at at ESPN? All right, well, Sarah Walsh is married to my friend, so I, I can get away with this. But like, what if Sarah Walsh and sure. I went to the movies and it went really well? And then I went to HR that Monday and was like, hey, just want to tip you guys off. Like, yeah. we went to the movies and it went pretty well. And then like two weeks <laughs> later, you go, hey, you guys can throw that paperwork away. And then a month later, you're like, hey, Carissa Thompson and I, we had sushi yeah. on Tuesday. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse here, but I'm looking at venues this spring. And then you're there like a couple weeks later and you're like, actually, she's dating somebody else. So you guys, <laughs> you don't have to, like, I don't think we're going to need signatures on that. One. I'm just thinking that it's to go to yeah. HR two weeks in, you guys I don't know must have really two, know. I said a few weeks. I don't know if it was two weeks, but it definitely, it wasn't like a year. It definitely wasn't that long. It was, it was pretty early. I would say we started dating in. We met September. I, I would say by by November there was there was at least some uh, some HR notification. Yeah. All right. That's good. No, because I remember when I was dating somebody at work, I had other people going. You know, you better go to HR. And I was like, Nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to each their own, you know. <laughs> also, I, Bristol's Bristol's a different deal, if I'm not mistaken, than New York City. Yeah, in Bristol, I think they were like, hey, you know, what are you going to do? But yeah, I, I, I found out after the fact that a couple a couple suits were sniffing around, being like, wait a minute, what's going on? Rosillo? And then, I don't know, I felt like a couple guys were rooting against me. So then I just became defiant in my ways. Really? With rooting against you how? Rooting against a relationship or rooting against a professional yes. and we're going to take you down with No, this? no, they didn't okay. care about the profession. I, I just think that there were some guys that were like, fucking Rosillo. Yeah. And then uh there was let's just say there was some competition there. So, um yeah, some people from I I heard from a few different people. They were like, "Yeah, they were talking about you. They're not they're not thrilled about this." I was like, "Well, we met in our building and we're both part-time. So, make me a head count, we'll worry about it then." How about that? <laughs> and then that was the end of the conversation. You know, there's no real counter to that. Hey, I actually don't yeah. work here officially, right? Yeah. Isn't that what you guys told me? Okay, cool. I'm going to start dating a ton of people. What's up? <laughs> I think the other part of it too, is that you just are like, yeah, actually I'm not married with kids and being a weirdo. Like I'm 33. So yeah. Why don't you just, you just let this ride. I think we'll be good. Okay. That's a good intro. <laughs> I didn't expect to do any of that. I'm, cry- <laughs> I'm, cry- I'm crying laughing, which I didn't expect on our free agency wrap up show. No, but this is what we did. So I sent Kevin a text today. I said, let's do awards kind of like we used to do on the pod um, based on free agency. So here's my first one. Give me the best fake deal 
Give me your favorite yeah. fake deal of any of the signings. Because I went through all of the stuff today. And, you know, it's not as egregious as maybe as it used to be with some of the quarterback stuff. But there's a couple gems uh, in there. So, Hall of Fame retiring his number. It's over. And this is almost too obvious. I didn't even pick him. Taysom Hill is, is going into Canton here. Okay, so uh, Van Lathan called me last week because he only got the alert that said... Four years, $140 million. He called me and he said, what the hell is going on here? We've done the Taysom Hill thing. Sean Payton's come on Slow Newsday. You had Diana Rossini on. She broke it down last week. We don't need to do that. But essentially, uh, it's it, it's a $12 million deal that they just basically, as a bit, added more than $100 million to. Very, very funny. Um, I would say that there's a couple of them. You know, the Aaron Jones deal in particular uh, there, I believe it's only worth something like $13 million of the 48. In fact, it is $13 million guaranteed of the 48. Um, Kenny Galladay, strangely, um, you know, $72 million, but only $28 million is guaranteed according to Joel Corey. Um, Cam Newton is another one of these where I think people saw the initial number almost like we, we did last year, uh, where it was supposed to be a $7 million deal, but it was really for the league minimum. Uh, Cam, it's, it's basically, it's a $2 million signing bonus and a $1.5 million base with, with roster bonuses. So Cam Newton is not getting any sort of payday this year. So there's a bunch of them. I think after last year, Ryan, like the Kyle Van Noy signing is so instructive as far as like even guarantees aren't guaranteed because he was supposed to get basically double his guarantee. And then the, after a year, the Dolphins were like, no, actually we're, we're moving on from you. Um, so there's a bunch of them. It's not egregious like normal, like you said, um, where guys are just signing fully unguaranteed deals or whatever. Um, but with the void years and stuff like that, there's some pretty nutty contracts out there. The all-timer, I mean, the the absolute Jordan of of fake contracts is the Donovan McNabb deal that Washington gave him, where you were like, wait, what? And they're like, now, yeah. remember, like, they called him fat and they felt bad, so they gave him a fake $75 million extension that was really like a $1 million roster bonus, and then he was cut. And it was, it was unbelievable, because I remember I was on the air when it happened. It was like late, the announcement comes out, and everybody's going, McNabb, wow, they're, they're, they've got their guy. Yeah. Like, no, Locked they don't. In. No, they don't. He's he's gone. My only nomination. I had Bud Dupree, five yeah, years, eighty-two point yeah. five million. It's actually after the potential out. So you know the Van Noy thing that you brought up is really smart because usually when you look at the language, you're like, okay, well if you're going to pay me this in the first year, that means I know I'm sticking around the second year. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of the thing I go by. And then you know my favorite ever is, is Polian would just talk to me about this stuff off the air all the time. And it makes sense. He goes, how much cash first three years? And in Dupree's mm -hmm. deal, the cash is $35 million versus 82, but it's a two-year deal, really, for Dupree. So, um, And he goes to Tennessee, which always scares me a little bit. Maybe it's Pittsburgh just loves the way they play that side of the football. They love their depth. Um, they looked great in the front before guys started getting hurt. And maybe they're like, hey, Bud's a product. Like, I think that's such a scary position to sign unless it's an absolute tier one guy off the edge because sometimes you're just paying for another guy getting free because somebody else is doing all the work. And I'm not saying yeah. that necessarily so, about Bud, but I would never put him in a tier one. You can say that. No, you can say that. If you, I don't know if you were trying to to throw that out there, but throw it out there because first of all, he's coming off a torn ACL last December. Huge problem. I mean, like, that is... That is not a position where you want to be working through something with the ACL. But then beyond that, uh, PFF has Bud Dupree and Matthew Judon, by the way, as guys who were got the most pressures basically unblocked. Okay, um, There's some real worrying stuff there. I'm not saying he's not explosive. I'm not saying he can't get to the quarterback. I'm just saying that if you're looking at his raw counting stats, you might be disappointed. Um, I... The Titans are, were, were a disaster last year on third down. At one point, they had the worst third down defense in the history of football. Um, they had one of the worst pass rush in the history of football at one point. Um, I don't actually know what the final numbers ended up being. Um, but they had to get off the field. Like anytime, I know a bunch of Titans fans. Uh, Nashville's the hot city in America, Brian. And all these Titans fans saying, we just need to get off the field. And so maybe just overpaying for pass rush works there. Um, I don't love in totality what the Titans did at this point. Um, but I'm with you. The, the Dupree signing, uh, it, might, it might come back to hurt, hurt them a little bit. Okay, that's a perfect transition into our next category, player you're most afraid to report anything about. And I think Matthew mm -hmm. Judon proved this offseason that there's no other pick. Like, if you had a fantasy league with this, he wouldn't even be allowed to be chosen. Uh, and by the way, Judon is somebody who I know I don't watch every Raven snap, but every time I watch him, I'm like, this guy balls. And then when I said mm -hmm. it, people are like, oh, check out his grade. And I'm like, oh, no. And as you just said there, too. So the Pats paid a ton of money for him. But I'm afraid to say anything considering he put a reporter on notice in a big-time way 
um, or I'm just going to let the kids out there Google everything that happened. I didn't really catch it all at the time as I was researching this because I like Judon and I'm not yeah. just saying that, although I don't have to worry about it as much um, as, as that reporter did because he went out of the dude pretty hard. I, I, I'm also going to let the kids Google it. I would just say that he threw out some <laughs> accusations that I found surprising given the nature of the people involved is what I'll say about that. I don't know. I, I, I am, I don't believe Matthew Judon in this particular case. Anyway. All right. Um, yeah, let's move on. He, do you want, do you want the, to have another Ravens? Yeah, no, no. I, the Judon thing. I mean, I, I don't want him to put me on blast. I don't think I've ever met Matthew Judon, um, but you just never know in this kind of stuff. Um, so the cover zero blitzes that they run, I was reading a little thing on Roto World, kind of going against the, the or co- going with what PFF said about how Judon just is unblocked all the time. Um, the Ravens defense lets guys like Matthew Judon eat. And so I think you have to be a little bit hesitant towards this. Um, I'm not going to be one of these guys who says that Bill Belichick, you know, Bill Belichick, I know more than Bill Belichick uh, about when it comes to defensive front. He's one of the smartest defensive minds in history of football. I'm going to let him take the lead on that. Um, I'm just going to say with the spending in general, you know, I, I saw Robert Kraft's um, comments in, in Peter King's column on Monday where he said this was kind of value investing. This was like investing in the stock market. Normally, you'd only have you'd have 10 to 12 teams that were looking after top talent. And now there were two or three. So we were going to spend we were going to corner the market on that stuff. Just because you have a reason to do something doesn't mean it's it's a good idea, right? Like just because you've thought it through and it's logical and there's kind of a Warren Buffett-esque explanation doesn't mean it's something that that actually makes sense from a football perspective. So I think the Patriots got got better. I don't think they got good this week. Um, and Judon is a kind of a perfect example of that where if Judon is an upgrade, but I, I you know, I, I think that he's he's replacing John Simon. He's better than John Simon. But that doesn't mean that they're going to win a bunch of games because of that. And I think that, that that's the kind of upgrade they have had across the board, quite frankly. I like Judon every time I watch him play, willing to admit that I wasn't watching every defensive snap of the Ravens. So when I watched him, it seemed like he brought it. Um, but that's a good one. I, I love the craft part of that. I remember listening to Mark Cuban, when he first had bought the team, he was on Dan Patrick's show. I was still living in Vermont, and he was explaining why the Rafe LaFrance trade was actually amazing. And I was so convinced. I'm like, man, this Cuban guy is unbelievable. And remember, Cuban used to justify all of his fines by saying it's free advertising and it's, it's a great way to get the brand recognition and all this stuff out there. I remember heavily being involved in the pharmaceutical sector. And I was talking with a brokerage firm and they're like, hey, it's not like people are going to stop getting sick. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. People aren't going to stop getting sick. And then the pharmaceutical sector had a massive correction and it wasn't a great run. So there are these sayings that sound really good that really don't mean shit. (laughs) Like Cuban can explain something. And guess what? The the Rafe LaFrance trade was terrible. Like it was, it was bad. And then, you know, they ended up having to move him for Antoine Walker, which was actually angels. All right. So we're not doing the Rafe LaFrance revisit here. All right. So we're on the same page there. Here's the uh, usual suspects award for the twist at the end off season story. I'll go first. The lead up to the Dan Snyder, Washington football team story. Do you remember what Twitter was like yeah. before we knew what this actual story that was going to be reported? It was Armageddon. And that's not to downplay the significance of what, he was accused of and the the environment for women working with that football team. But the stuff that was being hinted at, whether it was on social media or people that were connected and, and had sources and all this stuff, like he's going to be forced to sell the team on and on, or he's going to buy out everybody else and own the entire deal. So that was the, that was a little Kaiser Sose twist for everybody on that one. He was going to get a $450 million debt waiver and just be able to own the entire team. So either or, either or on that one could go either way. Oh, wait. And, and by one. the way, what was the valuation at on buying out the minority owners? Is it like I'd imagine the minority owners had to get an extra bump considering the new TV yeah. deals coming up and he can't just mm-hmm. buy it out at like a 2020 TV deal price, I would imagine. Yeah, no, they're they're gonna they're gonna get a lot of money for that. Um, and so I would imagine the valuation is somewhere near in, in the two billion, maybe a little yeah. more. Maybe more. I mean, the thing is, is the Washington football team on the open market because Washington is Washington. I remember someone saying this with the Steelers one time. And the Mets are like this too. A lot of billionaires from these areas. 
right? Like the the Steelers had the best for a number of years. Um, and I believe David Tepper was one of these guys. Uh, they just have a lot of fans who happen to be billionaires. Um, and the Roonies aren't one of them. And so if that team ever went up to the open market, they would get an absolute ton of money. And that's the same thing with the football team, um, where it's a lot of, a lot of DMV billionaires out there. So do you have um, another so they, one? Yeah, oh, no, to answer your question, I would say Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, here's a guy who yeah, the last one. couple of weeks, all we've talked about is the wide receiver market. And, you know, I think this dovetails with a couple of trends here. The, first of all, the fact that he, if the numbers are all the same or even a little bit more, the fact you wouldn't go and play with Mahomes for one year and and just take over the the middle of the field or or, or whatever he wanted to do, he could do. Um, I'm surprised that didn't happen. Um, I think that he would have fit into that locker room. I think it would have been really good. To go with Roethlisberger, it's it's kind of a, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird move um, to go for to, to that back to that team for one more year. Maybe he was just comfortable in Pittsburgh, whatever. Um, but what I will say is, you know, the wide receiver market is so strange. And the more I talk to people out in football, the more I'm wondering what's happening long term to the wide receiver market. Like Kenny Galladay gets his money or whatever, as we talked about, 28 million of his 72 is guaranteed, all that stuff. Um, but the bottom fell out on it. And I'm starting to wonder. Uh, and people in football are starting to wonder if because of the way football is developing, because of the seven on sevens and all the stuff and things I could talk about for 20 minutes, uh, because of this, there's just too many receivers, right? And you're getting to a point where receiver might end up being kind of a, a, a more luxurious version of the running back position where it's like, why are we ever going to pay for a top receiver if we can do that? You know, like I'm not saying it was easy to do and it's something I've talked about, but I'm not saying it was easy to draft Justin Jefferson after trading Stefan Diggs. But the fact of the matter is they got him after trading Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. That worked out for everybody. And I kind of think that teams are starting to think, why are we going to pay a ton of money to a top receiver if we can just go out and, and draft one? I mean, like the SEC has like seven guys a year who are going to come in and get a thousand yards. Like it's ridiculous. Like everybody but Henry Ruggs, right? Um, so I, I, I think Juju is is kind of the product of that. But I also just think there was not anyone who thought he was returning to Pittsburgh until basically the day that he did. Okay, next one. Uh, this is called the Injecting Disaffectants Award, which is basically mm-hmm. only one person or one team thinks this is a good idea and nobody else does. So um, you can take the lead on this one. Sure. So. The Cincinnati Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson for four years, $60 million, which is not the worst thing in the world. I'm not going to pan that move, but they let Carl Lawson go, who's much better for three years, 45. So the same average annual value. They had Lawson in-house. They knew how good he was. Why would you flip that for no reason? Carl Lawson goes to the Jets. The Jets did much better in free agency than the Bengals did. The Bengals made some okay, kind of low-cost moves. But I would have done everything I could to keep Lawson in-house, ignore Trey Hendrickson. A lot of Trey Hendrickson's um, stats are are kind of fool's gold. Lawson's are not. Lawson is a beast. Uh, He was one of the best edge rushers in, in the sport last year. Certainly one of the best on on the open market. Uh, I just don't know what they were thinking, uh, flipping those two guys. That was my pick. That's what I had. Now, really? the deal for Trey is basically a one-year deal. Yeah, way um, way less guaranteed. Way less guaranteed. Right, a but lot less point, guaranteed. The Bengals, the Bengals, at some point, should probably start acting like an NFL franchise, is my prediction, is my uh, advice. Yeah, that one I, I just didn't I didn't quite understand because I felt like Trey was probably, as you said, if you dig into it all enough, it's like, yep, am I buying sacks or am I buying pressure? And what you should be doing is buying consistent pressure and not sacks. And, you know, Chris Long came on the pod a long time ago, which I think all of us knew, but he broke it down so well about like, okay, this is why the sack part of it is so incredibly stupid and just went through the whole thing. Um, you know, you don't want to have zero as an edge guy. But to pay Trey because he put together this incredible season when some of the other stuff would tell you, but then you also let Lawson go somewhere else. And you're like, okay, so if the average annual salary on Trey Hendrickson, and again, it doesn't really matter because it's a four-year deal, it's a one-year deal. But if the guaranteed on that is 16 and Lawson's 30, but it's at two years and 15, and the average annual salary is about the same, like, you know, you're just going to be paying Trey that the next year anyway. Um, so uh, that one, I think everybody seems to be on the same page that disinfectant doesn't really work. Okay. Last one. I was going to do the circuit city award. Cause you remember you go to circuit city with the flyer and then you'd go in and be like, do you have the detachable dual cassette tape JVC? And they'd be like, actually we're sold yeah. out of it, but we do have a Senyo, um, that, that holds up just as well. And so you remember you would go in, they bait switch you, but I, I feel like that's happened a bit with some of the receivers. I'll do the last one here. Um, I'm going to call this the Killian Murphy. Do you know how tall he is, by the way? 
Star of Peaky Blinders, Thomas Shelby. Um, how tall is he? In real Either life. Very short or very tall. Uh, you have no idea go, which way to go right now. No, I'm going to go 6'4". Yeah. See, I knew you wanted to say short, but then I, I psyched you out a bit, so I knew you'd go tall. He's 5'7". I'm not even going to finish watching the rest of the show. I don't. You almost don't believe it, do you? I don't. I don't. Um, how? I saw it on an IGN message board. How, it has to be how true. How does he have career as kind of a swaggering badass? He's Irish and he's complicated. He was in yeah. a rock band. I was doing a big deep dive on him. Uh, I just think he's great. And it's like, hey, you know what's good? I think he's Killian Murphy. Too. Why doesn't he get talked about more? But he's not in pursuit of all of it. You know? Wikipedia says he doesn't drink that much. And he actually was vegetarian for a little while and then said, nah, enough of this. He said it wasn't for political reasons. He's in a rock band. He's great. Peaky Blinders, good watch. Halfway through season three. I know I'm way behind on it. But, um, you know, a couple of these... Couple of these games, some of these later games have, you know, you turn on, you change the channel and you're like, all right, this team's down 30. Maybe I'm not going to learn a ton uh, the last 12 minutes of this one. Okay. So the does, reason I bring do, this do, up do, does Wikipedia actually say he doesn't drink that much? Yeah. Well, it references him saying he doesn't drink that much. That's why he's not in the tabloids. Oh, oh, oh he doesn't like get drunk. Yeah, that was kind of what he was saying. He was like, I'm not yeah, that interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't sleep around. He's like, I don't fall down drunk. Oh, He's like, I don't. Oh, oh. Yeah. I was going to say, because yeah, no, I think, he, I think he has a beer. I've seen that before. Yeah, I, th I think. But he basically is like, I'm boring. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. do anything. So maybe that's why he's not a bigger deal. Or maybe it's because he's actually 5'7". Who knows? Um, <laughs> I think I may have ruined him for Saruti. I know, Saruti, you're a huge Killian Murphy guy, right? Uh, number one fan, dude. He and Tom Hardy. That's why. That's why Peaky Blinders is perfect for me. But ah, five. I I was with Kevin. I thought it was six four. That's a bummer. It's Hardy short too. He is Hardy's really short. short. Have you seen the movie Lock, Saruti? Oh, no. Yeah. Yes, Saruti. Just leave now and go see it. Wait, you think it's good, Kevin? Is that the movie where he's in a car for two hours? Yes, that's yeah, it. It's an amazing. That's the movie. whole movie. That's an amazing movie. <laughs> you don't believe He's got that. some issues he has to work out. He does. Well, he, there's nothing else to do. He's only in the car on speakerphone. Yeah, because and he's got the biggest cement pour in history, Ryan. And, and the he's, he's going to get ever. fired. They're going to fire him. Does I he ever get understand. out of the car? I forget. No. I bought it. I bought that movie. You and bought was like, that. He's never getting... Yeah, well, because it was Tom Hardy, and it was like, okay, yeah, I got a flight coming up. I'm going to buy lock. And then I was like, wow, he never gets out of the car. So it's a challenge. It's he a challenge definitely to get doesn't. Through. And and if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, I think Olivia Coleman is a voice in that. Um, there's a lot of I think Tom Holland's in there as a voice. I I can't believe you didn't find that powerful. Uh would have been a great play. I was just about I was just thinking that, but great instead. Play. Great Instead, dialogue. He brought, to, he brought it to you. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have been able to buy it if it was a play. I'll tell you this. I'm I'm I'll get weird. I'll get weird with you. But that one was that I don't know what the pitch was for that one. Like it's Tom Hardy, he's in a car for two hours. Done. I think Tom Hardy picked some strange roles. Very strange roles. Well, he's a different. He's different in a great way. He, you know, different kind of hat. Yeah. Well, he also developed that show that I did that was just completely off the wall. Taboo. You seen that one? Yeah, Saruti, you love that. That's your oh that's your favorite age of history, correct? Trading Dude, posts. Love, wait, Kevin, do you not like I love that show? I didn't not like I'm listening oh, to no. Ryan. I liked I liked the movie Lock. I'm just saying it was just completely off the wall and kind of slightly incoherent and uh Definitely. it's fine. Yeah. It, it was like it mysticism mixed with historical fiction. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't peak hardy, is what I would say about that. Yeah, the pitch for Taboo was a little more complicated than Locke. Hmm. <laughs> okay, let's just finish this up. The reason I'm bringing this one up is why isn't the Matt Ryan restructuring in Atlanta saying, hey, we're just going to run it back with Matt Ryan this year and that's what we're going to do. Like everybody talked ourselves yeah. into his availability and then when Atlanta's like, nah, you know, unless there's more to this that you can educate us on. But I feel like this was just met with a passive meh. When, like, I don't know, I can kind of totally get why they get it. So, 
I get you. Um, I think that Matt Ryan running it back and I, you know, Julio as well, giving giving them one more year, I think that's fine. Um, their their cap situation was pretty bad, um, historically bad, and some depending on how you look at it. New GM, I think it's gonna be pretty good. I think Ryan that the fact that the top four quarterbacks are going to go one through four in this draft changes everything for a team like the Falcons. Now you're looking at Mac Jones, right? Uh, in that position. And I don't know if you want to go out and get Mac Jones. I'd probably rather have Matt Ryan, um, who at the end of the day, even though that he was the first $30 million quarterback, it was at some point with the new TV deals. And the fact that it's going to be a $300 million cap by 2027, at some point, $30 million becomes a bargain if it's not already. Um, so I think that it makes a ton of sense to run that back, um, to not try to force a Mac Jones or, or something like that. Or, or if you want to go in the second round and try to get a guy and, and develop him or, you know, go get Kellen Mond, something like that and try to develop him alongside of Matt Ryan. So I'm with you. Um, I, I, I think that's probably the best option. Who are you going to get? I mean, like we had this whole thing. And, and it did happen. You know, Stafford got traded. Golf was on the move, all that stuff. Deshaun Watson, we'll, we'll see, is kind of in a holding pattern. But the idea of the unprecedented quarterback movement, um, which was kind of thrown out by outsider insiders in, um, you know, in January or whatever, I feel like we took that to mean every quarterback was available. And some teams are like, no, actually, we're, we're, we're fine standing pat. And that, that's the Falcons. Can we go back to something you said there? How strong do you feel that the top four picks are going to be quarterbacks in the draft? Well, so Kuyper and the Athletic both released mock drafts yesterday, and it was one through four quarterbacks. Um, and that would require, obviously, a trade-up uh, as far as Miami goes. I think most people at this point have a team like Carolina trading up into three, um, which would only kind of play it. The Dolphins really like acquiring draft capital. It's something I've obviously... I don't even need to source it to people I've talked to because it's just pretty obvious that's something they do. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if they can trade back into the the back half of the top 10 and still get a really good receiver or or a tight end or whatever, I just think that that, that could make sense there. So I'm not guaranteeing it or anything. I'm not going to get a tattoo if it's not one through four. But I will say that most of the smart people at this point are that's that's we're in range of uh, four quarterbacks in the top four. I think you just came up with another great idea. You know, it'd be hilarious instead of scripture or whatever, just getting tattoo cursive, like across the breastplate or maybe on the back shoulder, where it's like, I've learned that the Dolphins like adding draft capital and blah, blah you know, whatever. I mean, that well, would no, be hilarious. Like no one can read say. it. They just see words. And then if somebody read it, it was just the dumbest statement ever. And you just can't tell because you can't read it anyway. That would be funny. I, somebody should do that. I, I was about to say, and it's something that we've joked about before, just if I just became bad sources guy, just like just the most obvious. Double, this is the year of the quarterback, Ryan. I've been talking to my sources and I think quarterback is, is important. But no, I, like I was about to be like, you know, I've talked to Chris Greer about this. You know, he, he really likes uh, taking the long. And I'm just like, wait a second. Why do I need to say that? Because the, they just keep adding draft capital. I don't I don't actually need to source the information that uh, that they like adding. So, yeah, no, yeah. it's good. It's, the Dolphins speak for themselves as far as that goes. I don't need to get a tattoo. I touched on in the open talking a little bit about Aaron Gordon with Saruti uh, earlier in the week and then just again with the pursuit of him. So we'll see how uh, dated this is once the podcast comes out, if at all. But are you two as Magic fans, big time Magic fans, kind of laughing a bit at the pursuit of a guy that you've got to see up close for seven years? So you two guys can just square off right now. So Saruti and I were texting about this earlier because we're coworkers now. Um, I think Aaron Gordon has the chance to be the best fourth option in the league. <laughs> and I think that he can go to a team where they'll just let him cut to the basket and hit open threes and play above average defense, play good defense in some, in some situations. And he can win a ring in the right spot. He just, he just has to be playing a role where they're not asking him to do a lot. So really, where are you? I'm kind of with you, man. Like I, I think he does a lot of things. Well, we talked about this. I think he does a lot of things well, but, with the magic, like I don't want him running high pick and roll. Like he's bad at it. He's terrible at it. He's been an okay three point shooter this year, but I don't know. Should he be taking consistent three pointers? I don't know. So I kind of look at it as the old depot thing. That's what I said earlier. I think it just he needs to leave to figure him to ever to ever sort of like figure out if he's going to be the guy that he was drafted to be. And it's not going to happen in Orlando. But I I think if I can get two first round picks for him, yes, please. I only care about the picks. I don't care about the players. No, I think I, I think we just need as many lottery tickets as possible. I, I I think we're so far away from anything that 
I just want picks and and take the long view. And our front office I, I, is on a hundred year plan. I don't I, I don't really know what's going on. It, it's it's getting it's getting to be that I'm getting discouraged. We need to win the lottery. That's that's yeah. where I'm at right now. We have to get a top two pick, or else I'm 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 going to be down in the dumps all summer. Well, Bill, I think Bill said I bright Ryan on uh, on on the, on the pod on Sunday that Kate is the, Orlando's the best fit for Kate, which I think kind of is actually of all the bad teams. He'd be the, he, he's the perfect guy for the Magic. So, I mean, we need some we need some luck. But if we're going to have to give away Aaron Gordon, you're right. I don't want any players back because the Magic have 12 guys already that are average. We don't need more average players. Uh, Well, if 12 average players could equal one good player, you know, just stack them on top of themselves. That's it. Bunch of tall guys know, who man. can't shoot. It's bad. You guys love well, tall length. guys. We got length. Ryan, we got length. Length can't for win days. any games, but boy, do we have wingspan. I can't wait for Bama to be traded and then read the local media be like, you know, he never really, you know, Vucevic was in his way. Never. Ken Birch kept him, you know, Ken Birch brought tenacity and like everybody's just going to talk themselves into it when it's never looked good. So um, never, never. No, that's Kevin Clark. Thank you so much. Saruti. Thank you as well. This episode is brought to you by Bye. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Bye so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Bai has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Bai Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bai. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bai and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. We'll finish this off with some life advice here. Life advice RR at gmail.com. Okay, guys have been having problems with these ski trips, so we'll do another one of these. Mid-30s, married, love to ski. Every year we do a big ski trip with two other couples up to the Epic Pass area. Epic Pass sounds pretty sick, huh? That's... uh. Colorado, I believe. A year or so ago, we invited a new couple who we loosely knew, uh, know from work that also likes to ski. Bad timing because a week after inviting them, he lost his job. We didn't think they'd accept what they did. And having the fourth couple drove us to a more expensive property. So we're talking now eight people, four couples, more expensive property uh, that they rented out. We did a couple days out there and all this couple did was complain about how expensive everything was. I drove them up there in my car and he quibbled about paying for gas. He said the first tank was that I had, wait a minute, let me, let me make sure I get this out right. He quibbled about paying for gas. He said the first tank was gas that I had already bought and it didn't count towards the trip. Yuck. I nodded and said, I guess you're right. Let me try to guess how the guy said it. I guess you're right. And moved on because I knew he had lost his job. The food on the mountain was too expensive. The ski rentals were too expensive. The drinks at the bar were too expensive. On and on. It basically ruined the weekend when I was organizing the trip. I emailed everyone and said each couple was responsible for making one dinner at the cabin so we didn't have to go out every night and pay for expensive meals. Not only did the newly unemployed couple not make a meal, they never helped with the dishes on the night they were supposed to cook. We ordered pizza. I could go on and on. So here's what I need life advice. I don't think you need anything from me, by the way. Um... A week or so after getting back, my wife and I decided this couple wasn't exactly, quote, friend material. We'd hung out with them for almost a week and two six-hour car trips and shuddered at the thought of spending more time with them. And then came to our house and they apologized, all caps. They, they came to our house and apologized to us for how shitty they had been. It was out of the blue and um, a perfectly sincere apology, but my wife and I still don't want to be friends with them. That's how bad the experience was. Do I owe them another chance? First of all, you don't owe them anything. You know, the first instinct is usually the right instinct. Anybody, despite losing the job, we can we can have um, empathy for that, right? Um, but if if your if your mind is able to do the calculations that you can't kick in twenty, thirty bucks for gas in a car that you're getting a ride in, and you your first thing is the gas that's in the car is already paid for. And so this doesn't count towards the trip. That's a, that's a burning magma flag. All right. <laughs> it's not just a red flag. That is just walking on the sun type of a red flag. So I think it's great. They came over, apologized. I would lean towards 
yeah, give them another shot. You never know. I'd like to know why they came over and apologized. Did they actually have some self-assessment the week later where they said, yeah, we really sucked on that trip? Yep. I mean, it is possible. It was a it was a one-off deal. He was super upset. They're fighting about things, all this uncertainty, losing a job. Like, it's tough. It's tough to go all, through all that. But that you can be bummed out, and, and you shouldn't have said yes to the trip, first of all. But this tells me, if you're capable of saying something like that about a gas tank, I'm like, well, I shouldn't have to pay now. You already paid for that gas. It doesn't go towards a trip. That tells me this isn't the only time he's ever done that. And it doesn't have as much to do with him losing his job. So I would, I would lean towards not giving them another chance. But um, I'd like to know why they came and apologized to you. Does that mean that somebody else in the group that's closer to them said, hey, you guys sucked all weekend. Go apologize to them. And they did it. I mean, it's kind of redeeming. But my guess would be if you hung out again, there, there's going to be something that comes up again. There's going to be another thing that comes up again where you're like, you know, he buys you around and then you say you want to go home and he's like, you can't leave yet. You owe me, you owe me one Coors Light. I'm like, oh, that's right. Sorry, Dave. I'll make sure we're equal here. Make sure the trade treaty here is met to government standards. So it's really, that's up to you. But that, that line about the gas tank thing, not a good sign. Okay, this one's pretty heavy. So um, it's a bummer. It's not like, you know, it's not the heaviest thing we've ever touched on, but this one's a super, super, it sucks. All right, so here we go. Uh, what's up, guys? Longtime listener. Um, he's, he's sent multiple life advice. Oh, I don't know if I like that, Kyle, but we'll go with it. Okay. Um, to set some background, I'm 28 with no real financial obligations outside of rent, car payment, insurance payments. My parents never expressed the power of the dollar, nor did they teach my sister, uh, or I, what it meant to save. They almost lost their home in 2008 due to the financial crisis. Like many other families. Now I've worked my ass off to create a safety net for real emergencies. I've been trying to pay down my car and save for a house in Denver. Um, good luck with that. That sucks because Denver is just on fire for, uh, for quite a while, but you know, I don't know when these prices are going to go down again. I don't know. So I don't think anybody was expecting me to break that news for you today. Well, here's what I'm hearing about the interest rates. Okay. So anyway, so two years ago, I'm beginning to explore the real estate market. Again, our guy said he's 28. All right. So I go through the normal steps. The mortgage lender gets in touch with me about my credit score. I'd use Rocket Mortgage as a lender at the time. At the time, I was in the low 600s. Ew. Um, that was alarming to me, but I did have a car payment of $475 on a five-year loan and a brand new car that I bought when I'd moved from Atlanta to Denver three years previously. And as a result, I just struck up the low credit score to the high loan amount from the banks. Yeah, that's definitely not what it was, unless you had all sorts of terrible history before that. Um, I know you've always harped about the credit score and uh, have a lot of experience in this area. Yes, I do. But I want it on the record that I have never missed a credit card or a car payment of any kind. So there's no reason your score should have been in the 600s. What I ended up finding out was my mom had taken out loads in my name to help keep afloat on the house. I confronted her about this, and she explained to me that while I was in college, she had taken out the loans to save the house. Before we ended our conversation, she alluded to the fact that this was only to save the house. The loans had been paid back and that my dad had never been made aware of this because she thought it would kill him. Um, at the time, I actually understood it. She said she was trying to do what she could to save the house and survive like so many other families did in 2008. Fast forward to three years ago. So, okay, so she goes and destroys your credit because she tries to take out probably some refinancing deals uh, in your name to open up the lines of credit to save the house. Okay, but the problem is, is that she did that to save the house, but she was also completely okay with not paying any of that stuff because if she had paid any of it on the refinancing or whatever the new payment package was going to be, then your credit still could have been fine. It actually could have improved at that young age because you were going to start your credit history uh, while you were in college. But she didn't just use your name and information fraudulently. She then had no problem whatsoever not paying any of it and fucking you up. So, uh, all right, fast forward to three weeks ago. I'm looking at homes again, go through the normal process again and speak with three different lenders this time to explore my options given all the changes in interest rates. They run their credit checks and come back with some alarming news. There are now six credit cards in my name. <gasps> I have two that I know of, and one is a company credit card that I hardly ever use. So that means the lenders let me know they are seeing my credit score in the range of 610 to 640, which means you're fucked. Uh, as a result, I asked them to send me the report so I can do some investigation. I had known that my mom had opened allegedly one credit card of my name right out of college to create some sort of credit. All right, there you go. Exactly. 
parents will do that. Most of them don't commit fraud. Uh, I didn't ask for the first credit report from Rocket Mortgage for the first time. So no telling how long this has been going on. I mean, look, there's another side. I don't feel like kicking you while you're down here, but you need to be a little bit more on this. I mean, I didn't like the news, but at least I would monitor it and see how things were improving in my 20s. So you just never, but it's a lesson to everybody else. Find out what your credit score is. If you're going to start thinking, hey, three down, three years to actually, you should just always know what it is. And it's super easy to do with apps now and some of the bank accounts that would already provide it, keep you kind of a ballpark number. All right. Knowing that my mother had taken out the loans in my name and a credit card in my name, I called her and asked about these six credit cards. She told me she'd actually opened six credit cards in my name to the tune of 30 grand worth of outstanding debt. So your mom then, after the loan deal a couple of years ago, takes out six credit cards, 30 G's. Great. As you can imagine, I was absolutely irate when I discovered what she was doing. I proceeded to ask her what was going on. She stated that she had been running up the bills, then slowly paying them down to create a paper trail and show a credit history. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I told her this was unacceptable. That was not only hurting my credit score, but also my potential interest rate on the home, which is the whole point. All right. You can maybe get a loan right now, man. Like I wouldn't say anything's impossible, but you're not going to like the loan package. You're not going to be telling any of your buddies on the golf course, be like, oh, what'd you get? Oh, I got a 275 arm. Oh, man, I got a 3130 fixed. What'd you get? Oh, I'm at nine. Um, I don't even know if that's what the case is, but you're going to have to do way more of a down payment if you don't have a ton of cash. So that's going to suck and your rate's going to suck if, if somebody will even lend it to you, which we'll get to a little bit later here. So I don't want to, I don't have all the information here. Uh, she goes on to lecture me. So I told her this is unacceptable and it was not only holding my credit score or interest rate. She goes on to lecture me about how when her and my father bought their first home that no one helped them and their interest rate was 14%. Um, our guy says way beyond the point, mom. I agree. That's actually sucks that your mother's first default here was to tell you that the interest rates were high in the eighties, which they were, um, you know, interest rates back then were ridiculous. Um, but it was, you know, depending on how you looked at all the things moving around and all the different pieces, um, you know, government tried to make a point of trying to get home ownership, the American dream for people over time. So that has nothing to do with you. And it's a horrible, it's a horrible point to even be made, which means that I'm, I don't want to assume anything here about your mom, but this isn't, this is, she's not coming off great in this one. All right. So I told her that I wanted to pay off the totals and give me all the login information, each account. She then lectures me again, how it's good to show you were paying down the balances instead of paying them all at once. Well, that's not true either. <laughs> no credit place is like, Hey, you know, what we love is these high balances that aren't going to be paid off for eight years because you're doing minimum payments. Um, they don't want balances. They don't want balances all over the place. Like I just put something on a credit card once when I moved and the mortgage company tried to ding me and get a higher rate for me because I had supposedly a high balance and it was ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, I just had to pay for all this moving stuff. And you motherfuckers are coming back at me trying to say that I have to pay for a, I have to do a different mortgage product now. No, absolutely not. And, um, you know, they tried to run it while there was a, I don't know, 10, 12 grand on one credit card that was paid off. And it wasn't like carried over. So anyway, her, her argument sucks. You already know this. You didn't come here to confirm that. So, um, after a lengthy conversation, she tells me she'll pay them all off. I ask her to send me the log information via text, but she's yet to do that. I let a few days pass. I reach out to my sister to let her know what's going on. You'll never guess. She discovers 10,000 in outstanding debt. My mother's collectively earned up 40 grand in debt between her two children. Understandably, you were both incensed by the situation she's put us in. Um, back in the South this last weekend for a wedding when my sister and I grabbed a drink, she shows me the nifty little feature on the Chase banking app. There you go that you can monitor your credit balances. Guess what? She hadn't paid off any of the cards. Of course she didn't. She's lying to you guys. I know it's your mom. I know it hurts. And it's like, I think if there's one person in the world, the reason why moms can be so great is that like, no matter what your mind, some of you, that's your dad. But I think most of us would say, you know, the, if your mom ever disappoints you, it hurts in a way that's beyond any other disappointment, friend, coworker, and even spouse. Um, you know, your mom is supposed to be your mom for a reason, right? And your mom is fucking you over and fucking your sister over. And she doesn't seem to have any remorse whatsoever. And like you said, she's not paying them off. So whatever. All right. So I've not spoken to my mother in nearly a month and a half. Uh, my entire foundation of who I thought she was and the things she taught me as kids have been rocked to the very core. Exactly. Last two pieces of information. My dad and I were talking about money this Christmas. He let me know that he'd crossed the millionaire threshold last year. Okay, wait. So I know they're not hurting for money. Additionally, my father does not know about any of this. Uh, I would tell them immediately and tell them to pay off your fucking debt that has nothing to do with you. And you can't look at your mom as your mom in this case. You have to look at her as somebody that has been incredibly selfish, irrational. Um, I would argue even showing signs of being a little, uh, I'm not trying to be insensitive here, 
but I would say there's there's a there's a pattern here that would say her 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 rational thinking uh, is challenging. All right, so I'm just trying to be nice. Like, what's the other side of this? Being, ah, oh, it's my mom. I'm going to let it go. No, not at all. She hasn't cared about how you felt the entire time. And it doesn't mean you're never going to talk to your mom again. It doesn't mean, but this is a this is a total betrayal. And she didn't care enough about damaging the relationship. 2008, you want to say she's saving the house? Fine. But she did it to you, and then she did it to you again, and then she did it to your sister. And you and your sister need to sit everybody down and go to your father, especially if he's bragging about being a millionaire and saying, hey, guess what? We're going to shave a little off the top. And you need to work on getting things right because if it, your credit is as bad as it is, it sounds that it is, and there's outstanding balances, you're years away from getting a decent rate for home, home ownership if you could even afford anything in Denver or Cherry Creek right now anyway. So good luck. So I know that sucks, but the be nice about it because it's my mom deal hasn't worked to this point. And this is, um, this kind of stuff sucks, man. When your family, you know, that's the great thing about families in theory, but when your family's the one that betrays you, and you feel like you can trust your friends or people you didn't grow up with more, it sucks. It sucks. It hurts way more, man. So sorry, but uh, I don't think you have many choices except for one to confront it head on and let them know how you feel. Because the great thing about some confrontation is it's awesome when you're right about every part of the confrontation. How do you take a loan out <clears throat> in someone else's name? I could, you know how many times I couldn't get a loan? And it's probably good for me that I didn't get a loan because I was like, man, if I could just get $10,000 here, like I'd be straight. I would be on the path and I didn't get anything. And so how are you, how is someone else taking a loan out in like a college kid's name? Or is it because they're co-signing it? Like how the fuck? Well, she has a social security number. She's got a birth certificate and she's got every single piece of information. I have those things about me too and I can't get anything. Well, she may have co-signed herself. You know, she may have done one of those Word. deals where she co-signed her own loan. I mean, then she would there's be also other ways you could do right? it. You know, sometimes family members will have a joint bank account and then you show up and look at the bank account and you're like, wait a minute, uh, this doesn't look right. You know, so, um, you know, I've been through my own stuff. I'm not going to get into it, but there are times where you realize that somebody's determined to get money from you they'll figure out a way, but especially when it's a mom, you know, they're going to have the birth certificate. They're going to have the social, they're going to have all your address. They're going to update all that. They're going to plug in all the security questions. And then if she wants to sign herself off. And the other thing you got to remember too, is that, you know, even in the subprime crisis, and I don't, I don't know the, the perfect timeline of it. I mean, the biggest issue was because they were just lending money. They, they wanted you to borrow money. Um, because so much of it was adjustable anyway. So I didn't really give a shit. And then guys were closing on deals and then selling the debt to somebody else. So everybody was just like, Hey, let me close my deal, take my cut. And then now it's somebody else's problem. And if the person can't pay for the house, but it doesn't sound like that's the case necessarily. It sounds more like it's, I don't know, was she, I, I don't know why, why was this? Well, again, I mean, we're talking 13 years ago. So that part, I could at least understand to save the house if there was a ton of financial trouble, but it's clear she's wired in a way where she doesn't care. She doesn't care, man. So why should, why should you worry about her feelings when she didn't worry about yours? And I know some people may think this is harsh and that for a mom, the rules should be different. Yeah. The rules should be different. You shouldn't be fucking over your kids. Kyle, I thought you were going to be like, how do you get out of credit card in somebody else's name for a different reason? I was like, wait, why are you well, asking? No, this? I guess maybe because back in 2008, like you're saying, like they would give a guy like me a shitty loan like that. So maybe that's the part I'm missing here. Cause I always knew like they're like, my friends were like, oh, my mom's, you know, put the cable in my name or something. And I've kind of fucked over on that, but it's like, how much is a cable bill really going to get run up over the years or something? But like, I was just thinking how hard it was for me to get like $10,000 or $8,000 to fix a messed up credit card and to have a little walking around money. It just was never happening. I was just constantly getting no's. And I was just like, how did she get $30,000 on this guy who was like in college, but I guess it was because it was 2008. Yeah, I mean, they used to send you pre-approved credit cards in the mail. I don't think they do that anymore, right? Mm, no. I mean, I was still getting those right as I was coming out of it. I Mine mean, my, like my $700 and then they upped me to like, they tripled my thing without me knowing it and my credit card just kept working and then I was like, oh, I guess you tripled my thing and I also tripled my debt. So... <laughs> We're out of that now, but I did. I was like, I didn't ask for this. I called my dad. I was like, they can't fucking do that, can they? He was like, oh, they did it. Anything I've ever been good at is only because I fucked it up, you know? So I'm not, 
whenever anybody's like, you know, hey, you're you're good with this, you're good with that. Be like, I'm only good at any of this because I've I fucked up all of it. You know, that's this is not advice because I'm perfect. It's advice because I probably screwed up whatever grown up stuff it was that you were supposed to do. So I'm like, oh, okay, you did that wrong. All right, here's what you do. You know, although I never had the car stuff. Like I've never even had a speeding ticket. You know, I've never had that like, oh, your car, you know, although wait, let me think. Oh, that's right. One time I think actually, I remember my registration had expired and I didn't know because I got a ticket for a meter in Boston at my house. And when I would drive back from ESPN, the first three years I worked there, I would park, you know, on Com Ave and I was lucky to ever find a spot. So I'd have to move by a certain time. But if I didn't get a ticket, I didn't get a ticket. And sometimes in the winter or whatever, you get a ticket, then it would blow off. And so it happened once and I got pulled over. Um, and the guy was like, Hey, I, I think he pulled me over cause there was like a dent in the side of the car. And, you know, I think there's some profiling there on, um, there's some more egregious profiling. That's a much bigger topic that I'm, I'm not going to get into, but I also think that if you're a cop, you're like, okay, this guy looks like he could have something wrong with him. Like, why is there a dent in his car? So Dude, I, I had a garbage bag like, window and that's what I was so afraid of. Yeah, garbage bag window. This guy has like, a couple. <laughs> this guy has a couple course lights before he gets behind the wheel. I mean, he's just auto. <laughs> so, you know, if he doesn't have glass covered, then this guy's got some real, real big issues. Um, but I got pulled over, and the guy was like, "Hey, your registration is actually toast." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" No, no, no. I got it here. And he goes, "No." He goes, "It's, it's, it's being." I don't know what it was. He was, he's basically trying to tell me. I don't know. Maybe he was messing with me. Maybe you're I was suspended. Like, no, it says it's. A, it it wasn't so he didn't suspend anything because I was I was basically there and I I was like no I'm I I didn't know like I didn't know I got this ticket and he's like yeah you got a ticket and you never paid it and so the, then it went down this so yeah even that I I sort of understood but yeah as far as like those guys that get so many speeding tickets and have a suspended license for sixty days and you have to do all that that just go slower would be my you know just go slower man that's all I could tell you but I've never I've never had that issue that I've had to deal with. So, all right. That's a lot of stuff. Long podcast. Enjoy the trade deadline. And Simmons and I will be going for like three hours. I think we just got the heads up, maybe three hours on Thursday, going through the very end, wrapping up everything. And then, uh, next week, a two-part special ABA stories based on the book, loose balls. We have Dr. J Rod Thorne, Bob Costas, artist Gilmore, and the author of the book, Terry Pluto. We're going to do that two-parter. Because I am going to take my first time off since August of 2019. So, um, looking forward to it. And the podcasts are terrific. So, you're not going to miss anything except for life advice. And that's, we gave you plenty on this one. This went way too long. So, thanks as always. Have a great weekend. Bye.